Will you please turn with me to your study outlines? And as you turn, let me welcome those of you that are watching online, and also uh, those of you, our friends in Arco, Idaho, and also at the Hangar in Montana. We are so glad that you're joining us today for our study of God's Word. And we've been doing this series called The Hope Quotient. Uh, IQ, intelligent quotient, is helpful in life. Even more helpful is your EQ, your ability to get along with other people. Your emotional quotient will get you even further in life. But maybe the most important of all is your HQ, your hope quotient. We find that people with a high hope quotient can conquer the same circumstances that may devastate somebody with a low HQ. And so my goal has been over the few weeks of this series in April and May, and may even spill over into June, is to raise your hope quotient so you can defeat and live in victory over the circumstances that you face. Now today we're gonna talk about moms of hope. And they are such a perfect example of the principles we've been talking about within this series. Moms find fulfillment in the future success of others. Wouldn't that be a great trait if we all did that? What if we were known uh, as a church and as individual Christ followers, as a group of people who find our fulfillment in the future success of others, in the success of future generations, not just our own generation. And moms are such great examples of this. They find their fulfillment in the future success of others. And they do this by asking the question, what can this become? Asking with their children. I mean, no matter how hard of a time we're going through, our mothers always believe the best of us. Uh, Mothers even look for signs of improvement when you're in your 50s and in your 60s. Uh, They're still uh, hopeful for what can this become. Uh, Let's give a brief uh, Mother's Day tribute to my wife, Kimberly. She is just fantastic at this. I always get bogged down as a parent, as a dad, in what is going on at the current time. But Kimberly was always able to ask the question, what can this become? I remember we had our firstborn child, Abigail. And she was incredibly strong-willed. She just broke us as parents. And she was our first one, so we thought we were just lousy at this thing called parenting, you know. I remember her child dedication. She just screamed her head off from the beginning to the end. And she just ruled our family uh, from day one. I remember actually having the thought that marriage came pretty naturally for Kimberly and me. We kind of naturally were able to work things out and, and, and get along together. But, but I thought, you know what? I guess you can't be good at both parenting and marriage. I guess because we're fairly good at marriage, we're just not good parents. And uh, I remember thinking, how can I ever again preach on parenting? Because people just stand up and say, you hypocrite, you're the father of Abby. I mean, how, how can, who are you to tell us anything, you know? You don't know a thing. Just look at your own household, you know? And uh, uh, um, I, I remember also friends, they would come to us and try to very discreetly and gently say, you know, have you read this book by James Dobson? And we'd be like, read it. We've, we own all of them. We've memorized all of them. We're doing the best we can here, you know. And I remember this one particular friend, their first child was a very compliant child. And then our firstborn was a very non-compliant child. And so they were always trying to give us tips and, you know, books and stuff like that. So we prayed God's judgment on them. And, and then our second one was easy. Leah was easy. And their Seth was a hellraiser, I'm telling you. And we were like, thank you, God. There is justice. There is justice. And they actually came to us and apologized, saying, now we get it. Now we get it. But I, I would look at Abby and just say, oh, my goodness, this is just really, really hard. Kimberly looked at her and said, 
I think she could work in Congress one day. I, 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 I can see that. What can this become? She'd look at Leah reading and saying, I think she can be a school teacher. She'd look at John after we adopted him, and I just saw the hard life he had come from and all of his physical problems there in the orphanage in Columbia, and I just saw, boy, this, this kid's got a t- tough start, and he, he loved to help in the kitchen. And Kimberly would say, I think he can be a chef someday. I think he can be a missionary and go back to South America as a missionary someday. And then Andrew, when we adopted him, him from Columbia. He had never flown on a jet before. And so he's totally fascinated with everything about the jet on his first plane ride. And Kimberly looks at that and says, I think he'll be a pilot someday. I think he can be an air traffic controller someday. And she's doing the same with Rebecca and Noah. Uh, Moms ask the question, what can this become? They always hope for the best, even when we give them very little material to work with. Uh, Moms find fulfillment in the future success of others. Wes Stafford writes, children are more than we can think they are. They can do more than we think they can do. All they need is a vote of confidence from grownups whom they will ultimately replace anyway. Their dream today will become the realities of tomorrow. So we're going to look at three great examples of moms of hope. But before we get into it, I just one more verse. I just want to have it as a side and then we'll dig in. 3 John chapter 1, verse 4, where he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Maybe your mom brought you here. You came with your grandmother today. And let me just tell you, the best Mother's Day gift you could give to your mom or your grandmother would be to open up your heart to Jesus as your Savior and Lord. If you've never done that, what a great present that would be. If you look on the upper left-hand corner of page five in your program, you'll see the three steps the Bible says that we need to do to be a Christ follower. And then there's a little suggested prayer there, and there's nothing magical in the exact wording of that prayer. It simply summarizes what the Bible says the cry of our heart needs to be to open our heart to Jesus as our Savior and Lord. And if you've never done that, what better day than Mother's Day 2015 This could be your day. Receive Christ and then tell your mom or your grandmother later on it'll be the best gift you could ever give her. Maybe you need to come back home. You need to come back home to Christ today. And maybe you were dedicated. Your your mom dedicated you as as a baby years ago and you've kind of gone your own way a little bit and drifted from the things of God. This is your day to come back home. No better day than Mother's Day to come back to Christ to recommit yourself to following after him, then tell your mom, your grandmother, that'd be the best gift you could ever give her. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Now here's the first mom. Jochebed, the little known mother who freed three million slaves and wrote the first five books of the Bible. You said, wait a minute, Glenn, if you know that story, she didn't do those things. Well, remember, moms find their fulfillment in the future success of others. And so Jochebed was the little known mother who freed three million slaves and wrote the first five books of the Bible. Now she had three strikes against her. She was a woman at a time when it was not an advantage to be a woman. Men basically owned the women in their lives. They were basically the property of their husbands. She was a Jew when it was not a good time to be a Jew because they were oppressed at this time by the Egyptians. She was a slave, and it's never a good time to be a slave. So she had three strikes against her. She was a woman. She was a Jew. She was a slave. And yet God used this woman because she put her hope in him to beat Pharaoh. 
most powerful man in the world up until that time. Never been anybody as powerful as Pharaoh. He had the advantage. He was a man when it was good to be a man. Uh, He was an Egyptian when they were the dominant force in the world at that time. He was Pharaoh. She was a slave, and he was a king. And yet she beat him because her hope was in God. Verse 1, now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman. We don't even know her name until later on in the Bible. Her name's not even bothered to be mentioned here. Fewer than 100 words in the Bible written about her. Four paragraphs written about this woman and not even named in the first time we meet her. He married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months because Pharaoh had ordered that all the baby boys be killed and thrown into the Nile River to the crocodiles or to drowning or whatever would happen to him. He ordered that all the baby boys would be killed. She hid him for three months, but when she could hide him no longer, now I ruined the worship time of a couple of the mothers here because I came around during worship and I whispered to them, when does teething begin anyway? And they're out there worshiping and, excuse me, when does teething begin? When does teething begin? And um, uh, they told me six months. Uh, it can be earlier than that. So maybe it was teething. Maybe it was something else. But she hides him for three months. But she just can't do it anymore. He's going to cry. An Egyptian soldier is going to hear it. And they're going to kill him, throw him into the Nile River. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pinch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him and said, Daddy's law ain't going to apply to this one. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Now notice the mixture of pain and grief and joy, which is the lot of every mother. Mothers probably experience the greatest mixture of highs and lows, of grief and joy, of anybody, and you can see that exemplified here in Jochebed. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me. Okay? Joy that his life has been spared, but joy that she's going to be able to spend time with him, but pain because she has to pretend that he's not hers. She gets to be with him, but pretend that he's not hers. And I will pay you. Now that's a good gig, isn't it? How many of you would like to be paid for raising your children? And so there's the high. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. Can you imagine the brokenness of that mother's heart as she walks from the palace back to her slave quarters, leaving behind her son? She named him Moses. Moses. He's the guy. Through his mother, she took her fulfillment in the future success of her son, who freed three million slaves and wrote the first five books of the Bible. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. That is the highs and the lows 
of motherhood. Hannah, the little-known mother who led a revival and built an army. Now, each one of these moms had a time of discouragement and pain, but they put their hope in God and moved through that to the next thing that God had in store for them. There was a certain man from Ramathim, a Zophite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Ziph, and Ephraimites. So any parents looking for new child dedication names? There's you go. He had two wives. Okay, that's a problem right there. Um, the God allowed it uh, out of uh, the hardness of our hearts. It was not his ideal to have polygamy. In the Garden of Eden, there was not uh, Adam, Eve, Joanne, Suzanne, and Sarah. There was just Adam and Eve. And so his goal, his ideal, was one man for one woman. But he allowed polygamy for a time because of the hardness of our hearts. And so what happened was, uh, it says that uh, Hannah was one of them, and the other was Peninnah. And so he had these two wives. Peninnah had children, but Hannah had none. Okay, there's several problems going on here. Hannah was unable to have children. And those of you that have struggled in that way know how painful that is. But here it gets worse. In that culture, because she couldn't have children, he took another wife that could provide him children, named Peninnah. And Hannah was unable to have children, but Peninnah was one of those gals that she blinks and babies pop out. She just gets pregnant easily. You know the type, don't you? They just cough, and they're pregnant, you know, and, and just babies coming. So Peninnah produces one after another, and Hannah can't have any. Now, that would be okay, manageable, if Peninnah were sensitive about it. But the Bible says that she rubbed it in Hannah's face every chance she could get. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh. Where Hophni and Phineas, now they were two party animals, pastor kids, pastor sons, who were party animals. And we're going to see that's why Eli makes a mistake in just a moment. The two sons of Eli were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Peninnah and all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he gave a double portion because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb. Now just let's pause on this as to how painful this would be. Her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on day after day. No. Week after week. No. Month after month. Nope, you tell me. How often did it go on? Year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Her husband Elkanah would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? And now he gets the Captain Clueless Award. Don't I mean more to you than ten signs? How can you feel this? I'm so awesome. <laughs> Captain Oblivious. Next page. Once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. These are the kind of prayers that move the heart of God. So many times I'll confess to you, I'm kind of like, hi God, Glenn here, here's my grocery list for the day. But it says here that in deep anguish, she prayed to the Lord. 
If I heard somebody say, if we complained more to the Lord, we'd complain less to each other. If we gossip more to the Lord, we gossip less to each other. If we would cry out to God and God can handle it and say, God, I am angry about this unjust situation I find myself in. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly, and she made a vow. Now, this is the basis for our child dedication ceremony that we just did. Uh, Jesus was dedicated in the New Testament, but the major story we base it on in the Old Testament is this vow that Hannah made. And she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, that I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. And then he was also what it was called a Nazarite vow, like Samson in the book of Judges, and no razor will ever be used on his head. So we don't do the Nazarite vow, but we use this vow that she made as the basis for our child dedication. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Now, Eli is not much of a prophet, because he thought she was drunk, okay? Turn in your prophet card, Elijah, you have failed. And said to her, how long are you gonna stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I've not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I've been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, go in peace, And may the God of Israel grant you whatever you've asked of him. She said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something. And her face was no longer downcast. Now what changed? She had the same circumstances. But Eli, as lousy a pastor as he was, he gave her hope. He gave her hope. That's the hope quotient we've been studying about. Same circumstances. But if you got a high hope quotient, you can move through that. If you don't have a high hope quotient, it will crush you. But Eli, as inadequate as a pastor as he was, he gave her hope, and so her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning, they arose and worshiped before the Lord and then went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah made love to his wife, Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel which in the Hebrew means heard of God. God heard the cry of my heart. She named him Samuel saying, because I asked the Lord for him. Samuel went on to lead a revival in Israel, to raise an army, to protect them from their enemies. And so Peninnah's children are never heard of again. But Samuel, or Hannah, was the little known mother who through her son, the success of the next generation, led a revival and built an army. And then finally, we have Sarah. And Sarah is the laughing mother who believed a promise and gave birth to a nation. God appears to Abraham, her husband, in Genesis chapter 12. And in verse 2, he says, I'm going to make you into a great nation. So Abraham says to his wife, guess what, honey, we're going to move. Nobody likes to hear that. Where to? Not really sure. We're just going to go. Why? God gave me a vision. Okay. And yet she does it. 
she goes. Now, here's the problem. She's going to be made into a great nation, but she can't have children, just like Hannah. She's unable to have children. And in Genesis 18, God, uh, the Lord, and two angels visit them. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now, Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah did what? You tell me. She laughed. How many of you would do exactly the same thing? Okay, how many of you 80-year-olds would laugh or whatever she was at this point, okay? So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I am worn out and my Lord, little L, is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord, capital L, said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I'm too old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? You know the whole reason you may have been invited here this morning? The whole reason you got out of bed and you got here? You know, the whole reason you might be here this morning is just with regard to that impossible situation you're facing in your life. God invited you here to say something to you. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is that thing, what is that thing that you came here with a heavy heart about? What is that thing that you woke up thinking about this morning or in the middle of the night last night? What is that impossible thing in your life? And God invited you here this morning. You're not here by accident, but by divine appointment for the creator of the universe to ask you a question. Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Now, I love this. It's almost like dealing with a seven-year-old. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh. Now, you can lie to your mother and sometimes get by with it. You can lie to your father and get by with it a lot of the time. I mean, I'm, I'm, my kids, they can tell me stuff, and I'm like, sure, I believe it. I'm Captain Gullible, I'm telling you. Kimberly, she's amazing. She can sniff out a lie 20 miles away. She, they, they, can, they can hardly, but maybe you can lie to your mother, but it's stupid to lie to God, right? I mean, lying to God, that's like, like dumb. She says, I did not laugh, but he said, yes, you did laugh. Okay, well, he's God, so that's like the end of the conversation. But here's what I love. She was still used by God to produce a nation that eventually produced Jesus, and it's the reason we're here this morning. That's something. How many of you are glad that God still uses liars and laughers, okay? People of so little faith that we laugh, so little faith that we lie, um, and God still used her. Now, one little P.S. to the story, and then we're going to be done. Genesis chapter 23, Abraham, the love of his life, dies. Sarah lived to be 127 years old. She died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went to mourn for Sarah and to weep over her. This was the strong woman that followed him across the Middle East, based on a so-called vision that he had from God. This is that strong woman that put up with him through boneheaded things he did. I mean, that whole, remember the story where he lies and says she's his sister, and she gets taken into another guy's harem because of it? Kimberly would be ticked at me for so long if I did that. I mean, she would be, if I 
lied about her and somebody took her into his harem, she would like, she'd be irritated a long time about that, you know. Um, he, 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 she follows him when God appeared to him. She puts up with his uh, mistakes and the things that he does. And together, they start something that's going to change the course of human history. Two-thirds of the seven billion people on planet Earth in some way say they are followers of Abraham and Sarah. And through him came Christ, who uh, over two billion, two and a half billion Christ followers in the world today. Then Abraham rose from beside his dead wife and spoke to the Hittites. He said, I am a foreigner and a stranger among you. Sell me some property for a burial site here so I can bury my dead. Now you can read the rest of it on your own. Um, And there is an important point here. This is the first time that Abraham buys property in what is today the nation of Israel. And that's not what I'm going to talk about, but that has important political ramifications. It was in 2000 BC, 4,000 years later. This is still important politically. When Abraham buys property in what is today the nation of Israel. But that's not what I want to finish with. Uh, There's an ancient custom going on if you read the remainder of the chapter. And we're not exactly sure what's going on because we don't know 100% what that ancient custom was. And so there are a couple of different uh, possible interpretations. But let me give you one possible interpretation as to what's going on here. Abraham wants to uh, buy a, a burial site, a cemetery site. And so he wants top of the line. He wants the creme de la creme. And back then, you could get the best cemetery plot ever for 100 shekels. That was like top shelf, the best of all cemetery sites. So he wants the best. And so he says, sell me this field and this cave, which really was the best. Now here's the problem. The Hittites didn't want to sell it because it was lucrative for them. This particular cave and field was so so wonderful that honored dignitaries wanted to be buried there. And so what they could do is they could um, sell them or rent them a cemetery plot there. They would have them buried there. Then 10 years later, they'd come back and take the bones and throw them into the common grave and then sell it all over again and again and again and again. So you can see how lucrative it was for them. So they give them an outrageous price, just a crazy price. Um, You ever have contractors and they really don't want your job, so they just give you a crazy high price because they don't really want the job. Chris Chacon, I don't know if you ever do that, but, uh, you know, just some, we just had that happen a little bit with our project over here with Momentum, with the playground, where just, you get this super high price and you begin to wonder, ah, maybe they didn't want to do it anyway or they're too busy to do it. So they give them this crazy price, 400 shekels. Nobody would pay that. 100 shekels was as high as you go. And so they just give them this crazy price because they didn't want to sell it. 400 shekels. Abraham says, I'll buy it. And now they got to sell it to him because their honor is on the line. You see what that tells me? No price is too great to honor the woman of your life. No price is too great to honor that mom or that grandmother or that wife or that woman in your life or that school teacher years ago that said that thing to you that gave you hope. There is no price too great to be paid And that is why we honor you here today. And all the men said, all the men better have said. (laughs) 
Let's stand for the benediction. Prayer room is open. Prayer partners, prayer team, right through that door. They'd love to pray with you if that would be an encouragement to you in any way. Uh, Let me do a Mother's Day benediction over us. On this Mother's Day, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, and all God's family said. God bless you. Have a great, great day.